MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, April 1st, 2021. Today, it's not an April Fool's joke. Matt Gates and his controversy is in full swing. The Derek Chauvin trial is continuing. I'll be speaking with Renato Mariotti about that. The Manhattan DA has subpoenaed a trove of documents, including Alan Weisselberg's financials. Leaked audio from a McConnell staffer shows how much conservatives are afraid of the For the People Act, S-1. Delta Airlines reverses course on the voter suppression bill in Georgia, along with Coca-Cola. Cuomo signs a new bill in New York, legalizing recreational marijuana and expunging charges. The Pentagon is announcing new rules for transgender people serving openly in a sweeping reversal of the former guy's policy. Biden proclaims March 31st Transgender Day of Visibility. Congressional Democrats are planning to lower the Medicare eligibility age. Voters approve of Biden's infrastructure plan two to one. A federal judge has thrown out an NDA signed by a Trump staffer and two Capitol Police officers are suing the former guy for inciting the insurrection. I'm A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Holy majoli. Oh, I hate when these days are so slow and there's nothing to talk about. I know. Massive news day on the first day of April. Uh, First of all, high five, everyone. March is over. (laughs) I know, and it actually feels like March is over. But yeah, like it's done. It's over. We are now into April. Uh, And April 1st means you can join Dana and me tonight on the Stereo app. Um, We're happy to be back there. It's been, I think we were off for a week and uh, I was off, we were off with Andrew Tuesday as well. So it's going to be nice to be back on there and see all your uh, shining icon faces and hear all of your interesting questions, songs, drinking games, poems, limericks. We have an expert limericist. Is that a word? That seems to be. It's not. It definitely should be. Yeah. She comes on and reads these incredible limericks, like better than the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me limericks. They're so good. Uh, Later in the show, I'll be talking to Renato Mariotti. We're going to be discussing the continuing coverage of the Derek Chauvin trial and the murder of George Floyd. There was some very moving testimony today. We'll be talking about that and some of the strategies that we're seeing now fully being developed, you know, by the defense and the prosecution. So, uh, yeah, big day and almost done with this week, definitely done with March. And, you know, we just have so many headlines to get to, as you could clearly hear in the beginning. So, <laughs> whew, Dana, what do you say we uh, hit, hit the hot notes? Let's do it. Hot notes. All right, everybody, it's time for Gates Gate, right? Pizza Gates. Is somebody somebody else is calling it that? I think maybe Asha Rangappa coined that one. So this story's been unraveling over the past twenty four hours, as has Matt Gates. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> the latest from the Washington Post says Matt Gates has been under Justice Department investigation for months for a possible sex crime when two men approached his dad with a proposal. That's according to people familiar with the matter. The men had learned of the investigation the sex crimes investigation, they wrote to Don Gates and wanted to offer an opportunity to help his son, Maddie. That's according to people familiar with it. He could give a huge sum of money to fund their effort to locate Robert A. Levinson. That is the longest held American hostage in Iran, whose family has said they were told he is dead. If the operation was a success, he would win favor with the U.S. government and it would help alleviate Matt Gates's legal woes. So this isn't an extortion thing. This is a, hey, if we can help you find Levinson... Maybe people won't care that 
you raped a 17-year-old girl. But Don Gates, a prominent Florida Republican who once led the state Senate, viewed the communication suspiciously, according to people familiar, speaking on the condition of anonymity to describe a continuing and politically sensitive probe. The investigation into Gates alleged a crime. He is suspected of having sex with a 17-year-old girl, as well as funding her travel, Uh, That was not public knowledge until very recently. (laughs) Fearing his family was being extorted, Don Gates contacted the FBI. So Don Gates is just dumb. Yeah. He's just dumb. The messy political drama has in some ways diverted attention from the grim reality for Matt Gates. He remains under investigation for sex crimes, leaving him vulnerable to potentially serious legal, serious legal jeopardy. Sex trafficking carries, uh, could be up to life in prison. Goodness. Now, the the men who approached Gates' father, people familiar with the matter, said had no apparent connection to the sex crimes investigation. No, no connection other than having somehow learned about it before it was publicly reported. But when news of law enforcement's interest in Gates surfaced Tuesday, the congressman asserted that the allegation was rooted in an extortion effort against my family for twenty five million dollars. And he identified by name a former federal prosecutor who he said was part of this effort. While the Justice Department investigates possible sex crimes, the FBI is separately examining whether the request to his father about Levinson might constitute extortion uh, with Gates and his family as possible victims. I don't think it does. Substantiating criminal charges in the extortion probe could be very difficult um, because when the two men who have not been identified first contacted Don Gates, they did not explicitly threaten to expose the congressman unless they were paid. (laughs) That's sort of what blackmail is, right? Do this or we'll expose you. But these two guys were more like, hey, your son's about to be exposed. Everybody knows about it. We'll help you find Levinson. What do you say? Uh, even if the investigators do come to believe there was an attempt to extort Gates's, it appears connected to the sex crimes investigation only because the men involved discovered it and used it as leverage for personal purposes. So in an interview on Fox News... He identified, Matt Gates identified one person. This is the person he claimed was involved in the effort, David McGee. That's a former federal prosecutor in Florida, now at the Beggs and Lane firm. And Beggs and Lane put out a statement saying, uh, Matt Gates, your statements are false and defamatory. Uh-oh, could also face defamation problems. McGee has long represented the Levinson family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in their more than a decade-long quest to find Levinson in Iran. In fact... Huh, there's a $25 million reward for Levinson. That could explain Matt's $25 million extortion claim. (laughs) It's just he doesn't even, they're just so dumb. So two guys come up to Don Gates and say, hey, your kid's sex crimes investigation, but if we found Levinson, we could get $25 million and your son would be a hero. People might forget about the sex crime stuff. No threat to expose him. Nothing like that. And so, of course, Don was like, oh, my God, they're blackmailing me for $25 million. No, no, Don. No. In an interview Tuesday night, McGee said Don Gates called me and asked to talk to me, though he would only say that their talk was pleasant, uh, a pleasant conversation of a dad concerned about his son Mm -hmm. and the trouble and the trouble his son was in, was in, not might be that he wasn't in, not we've heard (laughs) or isn't in, was in. McGee disputed he was part of the effort to extort Gates or that he was connected to the Justice Department's investigation of possible sex trafficking by Gates at all. Not even connected. He said, quote, it's a blatant attempt to distract from the fact that he's under investigation for sex trafficking of minors. That's what McGee said, former U.S. attorney. One of the congressman's allegations gives he added, I have no connection with the case at all other than one of a thousand people who've heard the rumors that it's about to come out. (laughs) 
And and Gates has failed to mention when this started. It started under Barr. This is from Politico here. Barr in the office of the Attorney General received multiple briefings on the Gates investigation beginning in the summer of 2020. That's according to a second person familiar with the investigation. They encouraged the Florida prosecutors to move as quickly as they needed to and take whatever steps were appropriate. The briefings were consistent with Barr's memo requiring notification to the department on probes of Republican candidates for Congress. The briefing was important because, among other things, Barr didn't want to accidentally appear anywhere with Gates. (laughs) (laughs) Barr, the biggest shitbag on the planet, was like, I can't be seen with Gates. Uh, and at, at one point, Barr was scheduled for a meet and greet with Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee, but Department of Justice, Justice canceled that appearance because Gates was going to be there. Oh, my God. You know the rumors about Barr. Was it Barr's dad and Jeffrey Epstein? Like, there's somehow that Barr is associated with the Epstein case. Yeah, yeah. It's his family in some way. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. all uh, just this web they're weaving. Okay, keep going. Yeah, I I, this is enthralling to me as well, and I have the script in front of me. Yeah, <laughs> Gates then appeared on Tucker Carlson last night and threw Tucker under the bus. <laughs> Which was magical. <laughs> Tucker's face is intense tucker after the interview comes back on he's like that was by far the weirdest interview i've ever done now the interview got uncomfortable a few times because gates said tucker had dinner with gates and the woman at the center of this uh carlson was like i don't remember that woman or that dinner uh, but hey hey you're are you having sex with a 17 year old he changed the subject totally uh, and today, Kevin McCarthy said the allegation is serious, and if it's true, he would be removed, but is waiting for all the information. So not really a shining endorsement there. The only people who have endorsed him are Jim Jordan, sex crimes guy, oh, and God, they hit birds of a feather, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? I mean, Jim Jordan's really good at looking at turning a blind eye to, to sex crimes, so that, of course he endorses Matt Gates, but it's not looking good for milkshake matt i uh, you know what go to the news or- organization i just want him the hell out of congress but i want him behind bars for what he's done and it, it looks like there's i don't mean to laugh but i do it looks like there's a very good possibility that might happen one day well there could be multiple charges that he faces he could he could be facing statutory rape charges which is a 15 year up yeah. to 15 year sentence he could be uh charged with soliciting mm-hmm. sex with a minor that's a separate charge of five years there's also of course the sex trafficking charge which is 15 to life uh, and that is transporting a minor across state lines for commercial sex acts which is basically trading sex for something of value like a hotel room or a dinner or which airline tickets yeah which matt has admitted he's done but he insists that everyone he's done that with is has age. been at least 18 right yep well this next story where there's so much negative news right now with um you know not this administration but states and uh attacking the transgender community so this is really nice to see um from the pentagon the pentagon on wednesday will sweep away the former guy's uh policies that largely ban transgender people from serving in the military issuing new rules that offer them wider access to medical care and assistance with gender transition that's from the defense officials and that's what they told the associated press The new department regulations will allow transgender people who meet military standards to enlist and serve openly in their self-identified gender. And they'll be able to get medically necessary transition-related care authorized by law, said the officials, who spoke on condition, of course, of anonymity to discuss internal decisions not yet made public. 
Now, the changes come after a two-month Pentagon review aimed at developing guidelines for the new policy, which was announced by our new president, Joe Biden, just days after he took office in January. Biden's executive order overturned the former guy's policy and immediately prohibited any service member from being forced out of the military on the basis of gender identity. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin then gave the Pentagon two months to finalize the more detailed regulations that the military services will follow. So the new rules also prohibit discrimination based on gender identity, like period. Their expected release Wednesday coincides with International, which is uh, yesterday, International Transgender Day of Visibility, and that was declared by the president, which was a beautiful thing to see. Austin's also called for re-examination of the records of service members who were discharged or denied re-enlistment because of gender identity issues under the previous policy. Results of that review have not been released either. Now, as of 2019, these numbers, and I've known these numbers, I'm not sure if all of our listeners do realize this, as of 2019, an estimated 14,700 troops on active duty and in the reserves identify as transgender and not all seek treatment. There are more than 1.3 million active duty troops and close to 800,000 in the National Guard and Reserve. So you can see what sort of number that is. Now, since July of 2016, more than 1,500 service members were diagnosed with gender dysphoria. That's February 1st, 2019. There were 1,071 currently serving. Now, I've been trying to fight and argue these numbers with people that are like, it's too expensive. But according to the Pentagon, the department spent about $8 million $8 million on transgender care from 2016 to 2009, three years. AG, the annual military's budget for health care tops $50 billion a year. Billion with a B. And, and with a B. If you have anyone that you need to argue, need me to argue with on your behalf, I help set up the health program for, yes, for transgender military members because I worked at the VA for so long. We've been caring for transgender veterans for decades. And so we had a policy in place. We had a health care plan in place. And so we helped set one up. We worked two years on it with Mattis and that that's when the tweet came and uh, the whole project was shit canned and, and now they're, they're going to dust it off again. But yeah, 8 million a year, 8 million a year out of a $50 billion budget. And it's actually closer to 70 billion. Just so you Not know. Not even $8 million a year. That was three years. Mm-hmm. So it's only two point, what, what three, 2.5 or $2.7 million a year mm-hmm. out of 50 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, you're a badass and thank you for everything you've done to support the trans and LGBTQ community. Um, you welcome. Thank you. Now, just a small uh, ending to this. All four service chiefs told Congress in 2018 that they had seen no discipline, morale, or unit readiness problems with transgender troops serving openly in the military. But they also acknowledged that some commanders were spending a lot of time with transgender people who were working through medical requirements and other transitional issues. They're also spending a tremendous amount of time with every other fucking person in the military that has to deal with war and has to deal with the front lines and has to deal with all of the other other mental health issues within the military. So to single out transgender people saying that they're spending more time with them, I, it's, it's bothersome to me, but it is. I'm glad that they are being taken care of. It is. And the Pentagon still uses the terminology gender transition and not gender confirmation. So I just wanted you to be aware that it, the reason that we're using the, that terminology specifically in this story is because that is what, how it is term, how it is, uh, 
discussed it within the Pentagon. I, I imagine they will change that language. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the sidebar. I appreciate that. Also, today, state prosecutors in Manhattan investigating the former guy and his former organization. Well, actually, it's still his organization, but not for long, probably, have subpoenaed the personal bank records of the company's chief financial officer, Weisselberg, and they're questioning gifts he and his family received from the former guy, according to people familiar with the matter. In recent weeks, prosecutors have trained their focus on Weisselberg and what appears to be a determined effort to gain his cooperation. Weisselberg, who has not been accused of wrongdoing, <laughs> has overseen the Trump organization's <laughs> finance for decades and may hold the key, he does, to any possible criminal case in New York against the former guy and his family business. Prosecutors working for the Manhattan District Attorney are examining, among other things, whether former guy and the company falsely manipulated property values to obtain loans and tax benefits. They did. Yeah, they did. It's unclear whether Weisselberg would cooperate with the investigation, and neither his lawyer nor Vance's office would comment. But if a review of his personal finances were to uncover possible wrongdoing, prosecutors could then use that information to press Weisselberg to guide them through the inner workings of the company. That will happen. Uh, the 73-year-old accountant also with, with Weisselberg's kids, right? Because Jennifer Weisselberg is like, I'm going to tell you everything. Oh, she's singing like a canary, which is mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah, and, and Weiselberg actually started under Trump's father, worked for, for Trump's dad. Uh, separately, the prosecutors are, are also seeking a new round of internal documents from the Trump organization, including general ledgers from several of its more than two dozen properties that the company did not turn over last year. That's according to people with knowledge of the matter who spoke on the condition of anonymity. The ledgers offer a line-by-line -line breakdown of each property's financial situation, including daily receipts, checks, and revenues. The prosecutors could compare those details against the information the company provided to its lenders and the taxman to assess whether or not it was a big, giant ball of illegal bullshit. <laughs> uh, now, Mr. Vance's office has also subpoenaed records from several banks where the former guy had and his company had accounts, including J.P. Morgan Chase and Capital One, and that's according to people with knowledge of the subpoena served on the banks. So what's in your wallet? <laughs> well, I can tell you what I've got in mind. More bad news for the former guy. Yay! <laughs> yes. In an effort by former President Trump campaign to silence a former campaign worker who claimed she was the target of abusive treatment and sexual harassment, she was, by another member of Mr. Trump's campaign, was effectively voided on Tuesday by a federal court judge in New York. So Judge Paul G. Gerd Gerday Gerdeff. What are we going to go with here? I'm going to call him Gardaffy. 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 We're not going to edit this. This is what we're doing. Yeah. Paul Gardaffy nullified a confidentiality agreement signed in 2016 by Jessica Denson, who had worked as the former guy's campaign that year as a phone bank supervisor and Hispanic outreach coordinator. So the judge concluded the agreement was, quote, invalid and unenforceable. Mm. Now, the former guy's campaign had won a $50,000 award against Miss Denson after asserting that she had violated the confidential agreement when she first raised the mistreatment claims. Now, that award was overturned by New York State uh, <laughs> Court last year. Uh, you know that $50,000 you just won? You gotta give that back. Give it back. Ms. Denson then sued on behalf of herself and other Trump campaign aides who had been forced to sign confidentiality agreements, asking that they be invalidated as too broad and illegal in New York because they lasted indefinitely. Ms. Denson claims she was, quote, subject to a hostile work environment and experienced sex discrimination. And that after she complained, high-ranking persons in the campaign retaliated against her, which sounds like 
everything that happened over the last four years to anyone who spoke up against this administration. Yep, and I'm wondering if it's Lewandowski, if it's Manafort. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's going to be interesting. I almost wonder if it's Miller. Mm. Uh, it could be Stephen Miller, could be Jason Miller. I mean, it could be yeah, any of these people so are animals. They all hate women, so... Um, all right. Hey, I actually have a whole an- other block of news that we have to get to before we take uh, some time to talk with Renato Mariotti about the, the Chauvin trial today. So everybody stick around. We'll be back with more headlines. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. It is springtime, and that means it's time for spring cleaning and getting your house in order. You can also get your financial house in order and get a head start by revisiting your home and auto insurance with Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help you kill two birds with one stone. You can compare home and auto insurance rates and save up to $1,055 a year by reshopping. That is money you can put towards things that you really care about. We're about to come out of the pandemic now. You can put that toward maybe a July 4th barbecue, something to look forward to, save it for a vacation in the fall. We, you know, we're just now starting to come out of it and that money could go to good use and here's what you do you go to policygenius.com answer a few questions about yourself and your property and policy genius does the rest they compare rates from over 30 top insurers from progressive to nationwide to find the lowest rates the policy genius team will look at all the ways to maximize your savings too including bundling your home and auto policies and if policy genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now they will switch you over they do all the heavy lifting for free it's no wonder that with that level of service, Policy Genius has earned a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. If you're worried that this year is flying by and you've barely gotten anything done, take a deep breath. Policy Genius will help you make the most of this month in minutes. Just reshop your home and auto insurance, and it could save you $1,055. Head to PolicyGenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the mother load of news days. Uh, today, Pfizer has announced that the COVID-19 vaccine is safe and strongly protective in kids as young as 12. And this is a step toward possibly beginning shots in that age group before they head back to school in the fall. In a study of 2,260 U.S. volunteers aged 12 to 15, preliminary data show that there were no cases of COVID-19 among fully vaccinated adolescents compared to 18 among those given placebo shots. 100% effective in age 12 to 15. And CEOs for Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola have come out in a strong opposition to Georgia's recently passed voting law on Wednesday little late, both calling the law unacceptable. On Wednesday morning, Delta CEO Ed Bastian said in a memo to employees that the law is unacceptable and does not match Delta's values. He says, let me be crystal clear and unequivocal. The legislation is unacceptable. And then from Coca-Cola CEO James Quincy, he says, let me be crystal clear and unequivocal. This legislation is unacceptable. He said that on CNBC. In the week since the sweeping package of election restrictions was signed into law by Brian Kemp, activists have threatened to boycott Delta and other Atlanta-based companies like Coca-Cola, saying they didn't do enough to stop the law from being passed in the first place. And dozens of black business leaders publicly urged corporations to oppose voting restrictions in a public letter on Wednesday, and that's according to the New York Times. Quote, this is a call for action. That's Ken Chenault, former CEO of American Express, and he told CNBC Wednesday, what we have heard from corporations and general statements about their support for voting rights and against voter oppression, but now we're asking, put those words into action. We're asking corporate America to publicly and directly oppose any discriminatory legislation and all measures designed to limit America's ability to vote. 
and two U.S. Capitol Police veterans on duty during the January 6th insurrection sued the former guy, accusing the former guy of inciting the violent mob that injured scores of officers. Officer James Blassengame and Sidney Hemby claim protesters attacked them with aerosol chemicals, including pepper spray and tear gas that burned their eyes and skin. In addition to the physical injuries the officers sustained during the riot, Blassingame has suffered from depression in the aftermath of the siege. That's according to the complaint filed in federal court in Washington, D.C. Legal experts have long anticipated a wave of private lawsuits targeting the former guy and others over the violence at the Capitol. The suits raised the prospect of a lengthy discovery process that could uncover new evidence of Trump's role in provoking the siege. But any suit against Trump will have to overcome a legal hurdle. He is likely to claim that his speech on January 6th at the Ellipse and his other claims about the election fell within his presidential duties, which would shield him from litigation. In February, U.S. Representative Benny Thompson, a Mississippi Democrat, filed the first major suit over the riot, claiming that Trump and his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, conspired to incite the siege in violation of a law and acted to combat the Ku Klux Klan intimidation. U.S. Representative Eric Swalwell, a California Democrat, filed a second lawsuit against Trump in early March, alleging that the former president provoked the mob at the Capitol. So that's all that's going on there. We have this new lawsuit now. It's the third, along with uh, Rep. Benny Thompson, who's suing alongside the NAACP, and, of course, Eric Swalwell's lawsuit. Now, new story here. After years of stalled attempts, New York State has legalized the use of recreational marijuana, enacting a robust program that will reinvest millions of dollars of tax revenues from cannabis sales in minority communities ravaged by the decades-long war on drugs. Governor Andrew Cuomo signed the cannabis legislation on Wednesday, a day after the state legislature passed the bill following hours of debate among lawmakers in Albany. New York became the 15th state to legalize the recreational use of cannabis, positioning itself to quickly become one of the largest markets of legal cannabis in the nation and one of the few states where legalization is directly tied to economic and racial equity. Previous attempts to legalize marijuana were stymied over disagreements on how the tax revenue from sales would be distributed. Democratic lawmakers, especially those who are non-white, insisted that a large portion of the money be earmarked for communities where black and Latino people have been arrested on marijuana charges in disproportionate numbers. The government wanted to retain more control over how that money was spent. But the lawmakers prevailed. And 40 percent of the tax revenue from pot sales will be steered toward those communities. And people convicted of marijuana-related offenses that are no longer criminalized will have their records automatically expunged. They don't have to do a thing. The law also seeks to allow people with past convictions and those involved in the illicit cannabis market to participate in the new legal market. So they're going a lot further than just legalizing it. And congressional Democrats in the Biden administration are planning another round of health care initiatives that could include lowering the Medicare eligibility age following their major expansion of the Affordable Care Act this year in the American Rescue Plan. Democrats are still negotiating over which health care policy elements could be in the second of two spending programs the administration plans to unveil soon. Uh, today, Biden uh, announced part one, this $2.2 trillion bill. This is according to congressional aides and industry groups. The package is likely to contain measures to reduce drug prices and expand health coverage, proposals to expand Medicare from age 65 to 60, and to enable the federal government to negotiate drug prices in health programs for seniors, both of which President Biden supported on the campaign trail, are likely to be included. The VA already has these negotiating powers for, with drug companies, and they save billions, billions per year. The federal government and Medicare does not have that, and they need to have it, and hopefully they will. They're uh, expanding Medicare eligibility from 65 to 60. I think they should just open it up personally, uh, but that probably wouldn't get the support of some of the more conservative Democrats in Congress. 
and from the Politico playbook by a two to one margin registered voters backed the hypothetical three trillion dollar infrastructure package financed by tax increases on those making over four hundred thousand dollars a year, as well as raising the corporate tax rate two to one margin. Americans want it. And finally, this is an incredible story from Jane Mayer at The New Yorker. She says, quote, in public, Republicans have denounced Democrats ambitious electoral reform bill, the For the People Act, as an unpopular partisan ploy. In a contentious Senate committee hearing last week, Senator Ted Cruz of Cancun slammed the proposal, which aims to expand voting rights and curb the influence of money in politics, as a brazen and shameless power grab by the Democrats. This is H.R. 1 and S. 1. This is the For the People Act we're talking about. But behind closed doors, Republicans speak very differently about the legislation. They admit the lesser-known provisions in the bill that limit secret campaign spending are overwhelmingly popular across the political spectrum. In private, they concede in their own polling shows that no message they can devise effectively counters the argument that billionaires should be prevented from buying elections. Wildly popular with the American people. And in a recording obtained by The New Yorker of a private conference call on January 8th, two days after the insurrection, between policy advisor, uh, a policy advisor to Senator Mitch McConnell and the leaders of several prominent conservative groups, including one run by the Koch brother, uh, reveals the participants worry that the proposed election reforms garner wide support, not just from liberals, but from conservative voters, too. The speakers on the call expressed alarm at the broad popularity of the bill's provision, calling for more public disclosure about secret political donors. The participants conceded that the bill, which would stem the flow of dark money from such political donors as the billionaire oil magnate Charles Koch, was so popular it wasn't worth trying to mount a public advocacy campaign to shift opinion. Instead, a senior Koch operative said the opponents would be better off ignoring the will of the American voters and trying to kill the bill in Congress. Allow me to repeat that. Republicans would be better off ignoring the will of American voters and trying to kill the bill in Congress. Now, Kyle McKenzie, the research director for the Koch-run advocacy group Stand Together, (laughs) stupid name, told fellow conservatives and Republican congressional staffers on the call that he had a spoiler. Quote, when presented with a very neutral description of the bill, people were generally supportive, McKenzie said, adding that the most worrisome part is that conservatives were actually as supportive as the general public uh, when they read the neutral description. In fact, he warned there's a large, very large chunk of conservatives who are supportive of these types of efforts. Ooh. As a result, McKenzie conceded the legislation's opponents would likely have to rely on Republicans in the Senate, where the bill is now under debate, to use under-the-dome-type strategies, quote-unquote, meaning legislative bullshit maneuvers beneath Congress's roof, such as filibuster, uh, the filibuster to stop the bill, because turning public opinion against it would be incredibly difficult. He warned that the worst thing conservatives could do would be to try to engage with the other side, on the argument that the legislation stops billionaires from buying elections. McKenzie admitted, unfortunately, we found that that is a winning message for both the general public and also conservatives. He said that when the group tested for tons of other arguments in support of the bill, the one condemning billionaires buying elections was the most persuasive. People found that to be most convincing, and it riled them up the most, unquote. (laughs) So, rich people want to go behind your back and use congressional maneuvers to try to tank a bill that pretty much every American wants. 
especially the provision where billionaires buy elections. Most people don't like that. Interesting. We'll be right back with coverage of the Derek Chauvin trial with former federal prosecutor and host of the On Topic podcast, Renato Mariotti. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of The Daily Beans is brought to you by Caliper CBD. 2020 definitely put us all through the ringer. It showed us how unpredictable life can be and how important it is to practice self-care and manage stress. But in 2021, taking care of yourself doesn't have to add to your stress, and that's why I love Caliper CBD. If you haven't tried it, the great thing about CBD is it helps you feel better without having to make drastic changes to your routine. Caliper CBD helps me sleep easier and feel more calm. Uh, This past January, too, Colorado State University published the first peer-reviewed study to compare how different CBD products on the market are absorbed and processed by the body. Caliper CBD was found to deliver 30 times more CBD than CBD oil in the first 30 minutes. That is absolutely huge for listeners who are looking for the best way to get the benefits of CBD. And uh, it's also the reason I stick with Caliper. They've introduced a much better way to consume CBD, and I love their easy-to-use powder. Because unlike oils, it's completely tasteless and mixes in with anything. And there's precisely 20 milligrams in each packet, so you never question how much CBD you're taking. I like to put some in my morning coffee or a a post-workout protein shake. And Caliper CBD comes in affordable 30 and 60 count packs, very easy, and Caliper is completely THC-free, so you have no mind-altering effects. And it's made with all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, no fillers, no added chemicals, no artificial flavors. So take care of yourself, but make it easy on yourself with Caliper CBD. Get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. And if you don't love it, they will give you a full refund. That's trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget promo code DAILYBEANS for 20% off your first order. Everybody, welcome back. I am joined today by the host of the On Topic podcast, former federal prosecutor and legal analyst Renato Mariotti. Renato, hey, it's good to talk to you. Hey, good to talk to you. Yeah, I wanted to go over uh, some of your top line thoughts about the ongoing trial of Derek Chauvin uh, for the murder of George Floyd. And we saw some very uh, powerful testimony today. But before we get to that, I was just wondering um, a couple of legal questions. Uh, First of all, I noticed that the prosecution uh, had brought out some video of George Floyd inside the store and had brought up the possibility that George Floyd was intoxicated. Can you talk about what that strategy is as far as as prosecuting uh, goes? Uh, Because I think it's very interesting and important that they bring that out first. Yeah, so it's called fronting. I mean, there's different uh, there's different language that people use for it, but I, it's 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 called fronting. And what you want to do is you want to be the first one to tell the jury about you know some issues with your case. So you usually preview these things. Uh, sometimes you'll even preview them on your in your opening statement. You try to be the first one to mention those facts and details. Often it's in the case, for example, of a cooperator who's got problems, right? Maybe they have a conviction or did some something wrong themselves. In this case, of course, Mr. Floyd doesn't deserve to be uh, killed regardless of his intoxication. But nonetheless, you know, the, the, the point here is just to make sure you know that the defense is going to make a lot out of it so that th- so this way, you know, let's get that out of the way and do it in a in a more fair minded way than the defense is going to going to talk about that subject. Mm-hmm. And they did sort of do that also in the in the uh, opening statements where, you know, they said you're going to hear a lot about uh, George Floyd's health, right, his previous health conditions. You're going to hear a lot about his uh, past with use of drugs, et cetera. So they kind of 
brought that up in but but today I thought it was very important in that they showed the video inside the store uh, of George Floyd not acting angry or erratically or in a threatening manner um, there was a I believe a toddler in the store who walked past him without uh, any issue there was a pregnant woman nobody had any issues and I think that that goes a long way to sh- to to tearing down what the defense is trying to say that he's a very dangerous large angry man. And uh, I, I I really think that um, this kind of fronting, as you call it, was very important today. Yeah, well, you know, and that exactly is the point, A.G. In other words, if, you know, if, if, you know, he was drunk, if he stole something, it doesn't matter. You know, the only thing that really matters here is, was he somebody who was violent? Was he a threat to others? Did the officers have a reason to believe that he was a threat to himself or others? Uh, when they were taking such an aggressive move towards him and ultimately, of course, killing him. And that's what really matters. And sometimes with the, in the defense side, and obviously you have to, you know, play the hand that you're dealt. But, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, that, that video may ultimately sort of undercut the defense's uh, argument or position there. Yeah, and another piece of video they showed was was how early on in the whole thing uh, George Floyd was actually restrained and handcuffed uh, before they tried to get him into the car. Then they tried to get him into the car. He felt claustrophobic. Uh, they went around to the other side of the car and pulled him out of the car. And, and uh, you know, obviously n- none of what had happened or whether he was intoxicated should have any bearing on how he was treated once he was pulled out of that car uh, or, you know, the nine minutes and 29 seconds that we that we saw with the, with um, Officer Chauvin's former Officer Chauvin's knee on his neck. But, you know, there are some unanswered questions. Why did they pull him out of the back of the squad car and put him on the ground? And then, of course, once he was restrained, he was restrained well before they even got into the car. Why didn't they do what police training indicates you're supposed to do and once he's restrained and you you turn him over on his side so that he's he's not in that dangerous prone position so there was a lot of really interesting uh and also very traumatic video that came out of 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 the proceedings today yeah i have to say the the problem for the uh defendants here is really um that they that they have to explain away video that's really inexplicable and so there's certainly been a lot of innuendo that's thrown around. There's been putting others on trial, whether or not it is, for example, uh, Mr. Floyd or uh, bystanders and others. Uh, the problem that they have is at the end of the day, I mean, some of the questions that you ask, you know, I don't know if they really can answer in any in any way that's going to be satisfactory uh, for the jury. Yeah, I know, especially this idea that there was some sort of a uh angry impending mob that was about to happen and and all of these witnesses who were there are just like no i mean yeah we were yelling i i remember when they inter- interviewed uh, genevieve hansen yesterday who was trying desperately to administer aid to mr floyd and and when she wasn't allowed she desperately asked officers to to check for a pulse and you know they were like trying to make it seem like she was angry and agitated and then of course there was the other witness the mma fighter who who was caught like you're a bum and yes and and, and being angry and at, you know at one point i think they asked um genevieve hansen 
you know, you seemed really upset. And I think they were trying to get to proving that there was this impending mob. Uh, and she was like, if you've ever seen anyone killed, you'd be upset, too. Uh, and she kind of got a little bit of a reprimand from the judge for answering beyond um, the questions she was asked. But that, you know, that's a really important point, And I don't think the jury will forget it. Yeah, I have to say the judge at, at times is really almost uh, trying to hem in the witnesses a little more than I think is appropriate here. But in, in any event, uh, what I would say. Uh, is that, you know, I thought some of the more powerful moments have actually come on cross as the defense overplays their hand, asking these questions of witnesses, actually eliciting sympathy, I think, in the jury for these witnesses where they're not really landing a glove on them. And in many ways, as you said, you know, the, the, I will say that, that, that uh, bystander who, who they were trying to badger into suggesting that he was, you know, angry and about to take action. I thought, you know, he said, I stayed within myself. And I thought he came off as somebody with some some real strength, some some gentle strength that he had. And I felt the same way about the EMT. I mean, you really had witnesses that were very um, that were very uh, uh, relatable for the jury. Yeah. And then finally, we had the witness today, Charles McMillan, who was the um, the person who really last spoke to George Floyd, who was standing very close by saying, you know, get in the car, just listen to him. You're not going to win. And um, when they presented him, um, when they presented him today with the body cam footage, um, I think, and this is the first time we've seen the body cam footage in, in the courtroom. Um, it, he, he broke down on the stand um, it was so very traumatic and, and difficult to watch. And I wanted to ask you, are, is it a thing where you may not, as, as the prosecutor, show a witness a, a video or some evidence until you're in the courtroom in order to elicit a genuine response to it? Or, or do you think, or is it always, do you have to prepare them and, and show them everything? Uh, you know, uh, sometimes you don't. And it usually is for one of two reasons. Either the person was so troubled by the incident that making them relive it over and over is not a good, not good for them. But, but also, as you point out uh, or suggest, secondly, another reason is sometimes you actually want to get the genuine reaction of the person uh, to what they're seeing. In other words, sometimes you need to show them what's being, what is pictured in the video because they might get asked some difficult questions, okay, about what they said and so on. Um, but, you know, a lot of times if you're just trying to get a genuine reaction to something where the person isn't blameworthy one way or the other on it, uh, it's usually better to show them in front of the jury so you get a more genuine response. You don't want their testimony to seem rehearsed in any way. Yeah, and, and in this particular case, um, it was very emotional. It, um, I think it was... It was very it was very traumatic for all of these bystanders. And when we see that throughout, that seems to be a common thread throughout their testimony is that they survivor guilt. They wish they could have done more. They pray every day that they would have done more. They apologize. The You know, uh, I apologize. I apologize to George Floyd for not doing more, for not intervening. Uh, and, and I think that I think it's it's very, very it's heart wrenching, difficult to watch. Uh, and I think it's. I think it's very important um, the way that they're presenting this case. I think 
I, I so far agree with with the way that it's that it's being presented. I think the only thing I would have done differently is perhaps in the beginning in Minnesota, there is a bit of a law that says the cause of death doesn't have to be the only cause of death. It just mm-hmm. has to be kind of the thing that, that the, the tipping point. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe perhaps they'll do that in the closing statements. Uh, but it will definitely, I'm sure, be in jury instructions. But I thought I thought they maybe could have brought that out in, in the beginning a little bit more. Uh, because we, we knew the defense was going to bring up the intoxication and the heart problems, the enlarged heart, the hypertension, et cetera. Yeah, I will say, you know, one thing that about these bystanders is the jury is going to really put themselves in the shoes of these bystanders. And one one thing that defense is, is not done effectively is what they should be doing is just showing the jury that these people have limited knowledge. In other words, they felt really sorry for Floyd, but they don't, they didn't see what the officers did or they didn't know what was going on in the officer's head. And they can't be sure about X, Y, and Z. That would be the most effective cross. Uh, but unfortunately by kind of going after some of these people and creating conflict, not only is the jury not going to like some of the defense attorneys, but I think the, the jurors are going to see themselves in the bystanders, which is a very dangerous place uh, for the defense to have them. Yeah, agreed. I agree. Uh, well, I thank you today for, for going over this uh, with us. We'll be continuing to watch this trial as it unfolds. And uh, can you uh, tell everyone where they can find your podcast, where they can find you? Absolutely. You can find my podcast uh, anywhere podcasts are uh, distributed, whether it's an Apple or Google Play And then, of course, uh, you can also go to our website, ontopicpodcast.com, all one word. And you can always find me on Twitter, Renato underscore Mariotti, M-A-R-I-O-T-T-I. Thank you very much, host of the On Topic podcast, former federal prosecutor, Renato. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans. If you've listened to the podcast before, you've heard me rave about the best mattress in the universe made by Helix. Well, Helix has started a company called Allform to bring you beautiful, customizable furniture for every room in your home. Allform crafts the most gorgeous, high-quality sofas and chairs, very comfortable, made to your specifications, and then delivered directly to you with fast, free shipping. You customize your own sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. With Allform, you can pick your fabric, which is spill-stain and scratch-resistant, super great for the cats. Uh, You pick the sofa color, the leg finish, the size, the shape. Make sure it's perfect for you and your family and your home. I picked out a three-seater sofa, customized it with whiskey-colored leather, walnut finish, and a chaise lounge. It came in a couple days. I put it together myself. No tools needed. Absolutely love it. It's roomy, modern-looking, very comfy, spill, stain, and scratch-resistant for the pod pets, and I like that it was designed according to my exact specifications. And it was so fast. If you want to do a custom sofa with a regular place, it could take months, and then you need someone to assemble it. But all form just takes three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can put it yourself together. Allform has gorgeous armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so there's something for everyone. You can do any configuration you want. You can start small, and if you your family gets bigger or you move to a bigger place, you can add later, add on to it. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months, and if you do not love it, they will pick it up for free. No hassle. Give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty. Literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. I'm already looking at photos. I should not be scrolling. It's hard not to. This one pops up in the script before we scroll down. Yeah, I know. There's little floofy ears. And this is 
fantasy. Okay, so uh, everybody, this is the good news segment. This is where we hear your good news submissions, any good news. Uh, on Fridays, we hear we settle your disputes in Amy's court. We also hear misheard song lyrics. That's always fun. We play What the Mutt, where we guess the breed of your uh, rescue pup uh, or your mixed breed dog. That's always a joy, even though we're terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> like, I think it's part Mickey Mouse and Beavis. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm so, we're so bad. Uh, but it's just so much fun and the pictures are adorable. Any corrections, confessions, good news, pictures of your happy place, whatever you have, send them in at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up, TN from California's Central Coast. Beautiful there. Pronoun she and her. I have some good news. I connected with you a bit ago. I use BetterHelp. Thank you for the discount. I was gifted a premium sub uh, subscription, paying it forward when I get a goddamn job. And uh, I said I needed a kitten. Got one. Nice. Pippa is a badass little black cat, and she fetches. We loves her. And today, BF and I, me, uh, we are getting our first jab. Woohoo! Thanks for being the best. Love you. Love you. Oh, so sweet. Oh, there he is in the ferns, Jungle Cat. He does love oh. fetching. So cute. And he does play fetch. Dude, I love cats that play fetch. My cat Ned fetched. Right, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for that. And congratulations on your first jab. Uh, this next one's from Ben, pronouns he and him. Hello, everyone. My good news is that I've managed to come back safely from an all-expenses-paid camping holiday in the Middle East, courtesy of my employer. What an amazing way to are you say. In the mili- are you in the military? Yep. Even better news <laughs> is that I've come back to find that Trump is toast and the Democrats control the House, the Senate, and they seem actually keen to get on sort of out of their, quote, cleanup on aisle 45. I've really enjoyed the new podcast, by the way. While I was out there, we had a bunch of semi-feral cats living with us, which we were definitely not allowed to stroke and feed. Anyway, the small tabby was Daphne. And the black and white one was Zorro, and the large tabby was Sprocket, and she was allegedly not allowed inside. I enclose pictures as pod pet tax, and thank you for your service. Oh, look at this. The kitty with the... Uh, the okay, Ben, you look so cute with this kitten. <sighs> we all got our own things right, but a man in uniform with a kitten and headphones. I can't. I just can't. That is, that <laughs> is a triple whammy for me. Look at this. Oh, there's Zorro. And I'll take the kitten. <laughs> man cat face but i'll be friends with ben i'll be friends with ben it's a man cat face you can't understand you don't know what that feels like (laughs) (laughs) that's so great uh thank you for these photos and welcome home and yes thanks for your service i want to hear more about your service right back in tell us what you did ben and where you're at and i want to send you a care package with cookies okay next up uh don't worry i will not make the cookies myself i will have a professional make them uh, from Brittany, pronoun she and her. Hey, AG and DG, I was listening to NPR, which is now how I start way too many of my sentences. <laughs> and I heard a story about the COVID vaccine relieving long hauler symptoms. I've been following some stories and articles about experience COVID, experiencing COVID symptoms for months. And I'm very excited to hear the good news that they might get relief with the vaccine. In addition to this uh, good news, my parents will receive their second vaccine on Friday. And I'll get mine on the 21st. Yay! We hope to revive our annual summer party this year. Fingers crossed. You'll be able to. You'll be able to if you're getting it Friday and then on 21st. Definitely. Pod Pet Tax attached to Zoe, uh, who we call Bean, is asking me a question about the show we were watching. Roland, who prefers not to cuddle but still likes to be just an arm's length away. Uh Aha, I know Roland. Peeking at me from the pillows. Lastly, Reese, who will be 12 soon, sleeping in her couch dent. (laughs) 
sending some love and good vibes your way. Oh my God, look. Huh? Oh, the baby. Huh? Huh? It reminds me of Doug from Up. Huh? Oh, and look at this precious baby. So sweet. I love all these pictures. Thank you for that. Such good news. All good news. This one's from Anonymous. No pronouns given. Hey, Beans Queens, lots of good news here. More good news. I received both vaccination shots, and Friday will be my end of the two weeks since my second shot. I feel like I'm about to be paroled. (laughs) My significant other has received his first shot, and both our parents are fully vaccinated. Also, after several years of urinary tract issues that I was convinced were in my head by several doctors, I have found a urologist that identified a stricture a stricture in my urethra that couldn't be seen on a CT scan. After a quick outpatient surgery, the problem is solved and I feel a thousand percent better. Yay. Note to other listeners that you should trust your instincts about your body. Find doctors that will work with you to find issues. Yep. Now for my pet tax, I'm attaching a pic of our rescue pup dancer. She has 50-50 mix and I think you'll guess the first breed, but might have trouble with the second. Uh, we got our DNA test results back a few weeks ago and everyone was shocked that she was only a of two. She's five years old and we have had her for a little over a year. She's our big bundle of fluff. And other than that, can you guess what she's made of? I would say golden retriever. Definitely golden retriever. A hundred percent. Definitely golden retriever. What? And only one other. Oh, what do you think? Chow. You think chow chow? I'm guessing. <gasps> I'm going to guess Pyrenees. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Slowly, slowly. Oh, I didn't look at the last picture. Oh ballerina feet i know uh okay marema sheepdog and Ooh, great, great pyrenees. pyrenees you got 50 percent. i got right. the pyrenees i got Ooh. zero but no golden retriever what Bob, tell dana frick? what she won nothing i don't even know what a marema sheepdog is it's so. that look above <laughs> it's a it's a golden retriever is what <laughs> yeah, i think yeah, it and is marema sheepdog looks a whole lot like a golden retriever I got Pyrenees. I got Pyrenees. I grew up with Great Pyrenees, so I could see it in there. Nice job. Actually, yeah, you know, because I know we got a lot of step heads on this show as well. Uh-huh. Uh, the dogs do look mixed, like like um, uh, Jamie and, um, oh, God, I'm so bad. Her beautiful, beautiful yes. dogs. Every time I go to her house, I'm like, I just want to hang out with the dogs for a yes. while, okay? So I get there an hour early. I remember when we had the big Fred. impeachment party. Fred. Fred. Fred, Sorry, yeah. Fred. When we had the big impeachment party and I was just sort of like over in the corner at all these amazing celebrities, Stephanie style. And I'm over in the corner like dogs. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Uh, Next up from Jenny. You have become my first podcast every day. Oh, thank you. I just love listening to you. Thank you, Jenny. Good news. I found the dill pickles of my childhood online and ordered them from a large home improvement chain in the Midwest. My pickles arrived so thoughtfully packed. I felt like the packer really cared about what they meant to me. (laughs) For the pet tax, here's a link to my baby kitty, Mayhem Louise. She likes to play fetch and nibble on my fingers. Okay, now I need to know what the pickles are. You didn't mention the pickles. There's no photos of the pickles. Jenny, you're going to have to send in photos of the pickles. Because I have, I'm a dill pickle fanatic. And uh, I would love to try your pickles. Okay, that was awkward. Let's move on. Anonymous. This one's from Anonymous. (laughs) No pronouns given. This is a twofer. Misheard song lyrics and a confession, both involving the 1984 movie Beverly Hills Cop starring Eddie Murphy. (laughs) In my defense, I just rewatched this movie after many years and was very young when I first saw it. First off, the Pointer Sisters have a popular song called Neutron Dance, singing, I'm just burning doing the neutron dance. I'm just burning doing the neutron dance. Dance, 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 dance. Yep. 
I had no idea what the song was called and always thought they were saying, I'm just burning, doing the good time dance, which yeah. I can understand why you would think that anonymous. Yeah, I thought it too, actually. I actually thought that too. This is in the, sub- the submission. What the fuck is a neutron dance anyway? <laughs> also, also, having just rewatched the movie, I have to confess that I just realized the theme song, Axel F, is named after Eddie's character, Axel Foley. I legit <laughs> forgot that Axel F was from the movie and just thought it was some weird 1980s (laughs) avant-garde title the Uh, trivia geek in me hates to admit these things but now i know and knowledge is power and knowing half the battle yes axel f was for axel foley i did know that bit of of trivia but that's that's amazing oh just some weird avant-garde song but yeah (laughs) what the f is a neutron dance i don't know the good time dance makes far more sense and i back you up on that i really do um God, I haven't seen that movie in forever. Now I'm going to have to watch that one in Down and Out in Beverly Hills. That's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, all right. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Thank you, Anonymous. Thanks, everybody, for submitting your good news stories. We have so much fun with this segment. Um, and uh, I found out that our, our uh, you know, the children uh, picking up trash by the river uh-huh. uh, um, story is actually that episode is nominated for a Webby this year. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so fingers crossed uh, we'll learn on 420 dudes and uh, that's going to mean a lot to new yorkers uh, this this time so that's awesome everybody cheers uh, do you have any final uh, thoughts before we no happy april 1st everyone <sighs> it's over march is over everybody until tomorrow please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of your mental health and take care of the planet i'm ag and i'm dg and them's the beans the Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. Hey, everybody, do not miss our Daily Beans after party on the Stereo app. We'll be going live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Dana and I want to hear from you. Our last Stereo show went a little bit like this. What about you, ladies? What are your favorite nonsensical songs? The most weird, bizarre, silly stuff you can think of that you've heard through music. Thank you very much for all you do. Um, hope you're all well. Talk to you soon. Bye Oh my God, AGI. So I have an older gay brother. I don't know if that's relevant to the story, but I feel like it is because he had the B-52s on the record. So it was like, you know, we were into the, has anybody seen a dog died dark green, sunglasses and a bonnet, designer jeans with appliques on it. You're like, what? Keeps the rain like, I'm like, how many drugs was that person on? Uh, nonsensical songs. You're so much better at this than I am. So you go first because I bet you've already thought of one and I'll try and think of one. Um, my favorite nonsensical songs come from They Might Be Giants, for example. Oh, yes. Boat of Car is really good. And then, of course, I'm going down to Cowtown. A cow's a friend to me. Lives beneath the ocean. That's where I will be beneath the waves, the waves. And that's where I will be. I'm going to see the cow beneath the sea. Yeah. There you go. No. Although, were they talk? What, was he whale watching? Is it really that obscure? <laughs> you won't answer any questions about their <laughs> lyrics. I, I've asked multiple times. 
Oh my God. The best I can I, lo- get I love them. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The best I can get out of them is the explanation of uh, Birdhouse in Your Soul, which we already yeah. knew, right? Right. Um, Not to put too fine a point on it. Say I'm only being your bonnet. Yeah, it's sung from the point of view. Uh, sung from the point of view of a, a bluebird nightlight in the bathroom. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I love that song. It's one of my favorite ones. 